Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Podcast. Uh, we are just a couple of weeks late, um, and that is because we've just been hit with a bunch of work, as well as some organizational things, uh, and it's just been test season. So I uh, hope you enjoy this Halloween episode a couple days late, but a pretty interesting topic, if I do say so myself. Um, yeah, let's jump right in. Alright, so uh, first and foremost, this is our first Halloween episode, and uh, it was brought up that we should do something um, a little bit on the scary side. Uh, and uh, and after talking to a lot of uh, different people uh, in a couple different groups, and Facebook groups, and, and lore groups, and everything, um, there is a, there's a distinct lack of scariness uh, with the Tau. Um, most of the uh, things that, that the Tau do, especially in the recent lore, is is pretty, um, let's call it Warhammer 40k basic. Uh, for example, um, there's the, there's the, like, sabotage that's going on uh, right now in the Chalmuth Expanse, which we will hopefully see very soon with the new Pathfinder models, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be particularly uh, frightening. It's, it seems more like a uh, more like uh, wet work done by done by special forces. So I went through some of the older episodes, and and there was this thing that came up that I thought was pretty pretty interesting, and I think that it could be something that could qualify as spooky or scary um, in honor of Halloween. And in order to do it, we go all the way back to uh, some of the earliest lore about the Tau, um, specifically penned by Graham McNeil uh, during the development phase uh, in, I believe, 2000. And when they were creating the Tau, one of the things that they really wanted to do is they wanted to create a race that stood apart from everybody else. Um, And... And what does that mean? Well, you've got, like, for example, you have uh, you have the old ones, right? In the beginning of in the beginning of, of Warhammer Forty Thousand, the old ones come across the galaxy and, and seed it with a life, and uh, and in so doing, eventually they they get another ancient race really upset with them, the Necron Tier, who who desire their immortality, and and basically this 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 initial war in heaven is the basis for uh, just about everything in Warhammer 40,000. Um, it, it, you know, it has the potential of being the origins uh, of the Eldar, uh, which now is going through a little bit of flux. They used to be created by the Old Ones, now they were discovered by the Old Ones and then uplifted. And uh, Blackstone and, um, and eventually the, the Catan, which come across uh, by the Necron discovery of them and their home star. So there's... There's a lot there, but everything stems from it. The orcs are the descendants of a race called the Krork. Uh, the Hrud um, worshipped the Old Ones as gods, um, and so on and so on. But when they were creating the Tau, they, they wanted it, at least at least per the published notes that I've seen, uh, they wanted it very much to be as if a, fran- a, a different franchise, let's say Star Wars or Star Trek, had had accidentally wandered into the Warhammer 40,000 universe. And, and that's why 
that's why the Tao uh, at their at their base foundation are an altruistic race. Uh, they 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 do want what's better uh, for uh, for for not only themselves but the species around them, and that's and, and that's why the, that's why so much of their foundational lore uh, can be can be reflected with the like the 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 uh, Federation uh, from Star Trek. Um, as we look at the 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 original uh, lore for the Tau, it's very much uh, it very much it, it stands apart from 40k. So in the second edition uh, of their codex, uh, they they started like they they changed the name of the codex to Tau Empire, and it kind of adopted more of like a uh, an expansionist colonial empire that 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 per- perhaps is subjugating people. Although we don't really have very many examples, other than the Imperium, we don't have examples of the Tau really forcibly invading and subjugating anyone and in fact there's more evidence as i've brought up in other episodes there's more evidence of them using trade and 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 mercantilism uh in order to get people to get on board with them so so but one of these original fluff writers was graham mcneil and graham mcneil is one of you know he He's in that same family of black library authors as Dan Abnett, um, Aaron Dembski Bowden. You know that they they are kind of the 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 architects of the of the forty k universe. You know they were the new guard of of a very uh, a very expansive uh, business, which was Games Workshop. And so you know, like them, like their work or or be critical of it. They they are they are the people that set. Uh, the original tone for a lot of uh, a lot of the species, and so and so Graham McNeil, who now writes for Riot Games, uh, is very active on on Twitter um, and uh, is uh, is still very active in the Warhammer Forty Thousand community. Had some being one of these uh, uncles of Grimdark, uh, even though that the original Tal lore was supposed to set them to be a contrast from. From the other species, um, they he 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 couldn't help but sprinkle in some moments of uh, of absolute despair, and that's and that's what I'd like to focus on today as we begin the pathway into Halloween. That's just about as much as I'm going to give you, Biotic. <laughs> um, but we start at the beginning of known Tau history. Prior to even the events of the Manta or Age of Terror, the Tau were a plains people uh, dwelling on the planet Tau, goes by the same name. And Tau is a is a monocontinent. Uh, it's it doesn't have expansive oceans like like Earth does. Um, it is it is almost like a continuous plain uh, that is arid in a lot of areas, uh, desert in others. Um, and it really is only the fertile river valleys and connected by rivers, uh, and the mountains that are kind of ideal places to live. And even to this day, Tao is, uh, it is kind of a primordial world. Um, the cities are not expansive. Uh, they don't have hives. Uh, in fact, one of the largest cities, the White City, where the Council of the Highest uh, sit, is 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 really just it's the largest footprint there. It's still it's still a very uh, a very natural place when you compare it to 
um, an Eldar craft world, which is effectively a, a you know a floating metropolis, um, or or the hive cities of the humans, uh, or the hive uh, the former hive cities of the Krut. Um, the Tau have always, it seems, had a connection to to the nature of their planet, um, and it's something that they have not ever exploited in in the 5,000 years uh, since they began to become industrialized. So so on these plains, uh, the Tau uh, wandered as uh, hunter-gatherers. As I've stated in other episodes, I believe that they were in fact also hunted by the predators that are mentioned in later codexes. But, But the Tau, generally speaking, might have had uh, a natural evolution, let's call it, um, in 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 that they they moved with uh, food sources, uh, moved away from uh, the the harsh weather systems. Tau has an extremely hot uh, daytime cycle, which has actually forced the Tau to be uh, semi nocturnal um, culturally, not not biologically. And, and maybe perhaps it would have all gone in, in the same way that it, it, it did for, for humans and, and Terrans, uh, that, that things would have gone uh, uh, a, just a kind of a humdrum kind of existence. Were it not for in the mid-34 and 35 uh, millenniums uh, Terran calendar, there was an aggressive need to expand. Um, now, this lore was written before the the, uh, the introduction of uh, the Wars of the Beast, which was a, an enormous orc attack that actually threatened the solar segmentum itself. It's an interesting story. Um, but if we were to intertwine the two, at the conclusion of this enormous orc attack on the Imperium, the Adeptus Mechanicus uh, specifically goes through a really interesting evolution. Um, now, whereas before the Adeptus Mechanicus had kind of played, uh, maybe a, the word would be like second fiddle to the Imperium of Mankind with their forge worlds, uh, the basis for a lot of the uh, materiel that not only the Imperial Guard uses, but the Space Marines. Uh, they themselves, the Adeptus Mechanicus, start, I, I, I believe because, because of the events going on in the galaxy, start realizing that the Imperium is probably not a very uh, reliable partner. Um, it's, not, it's, not a good, it's not a good marriage. And that even though they share kind of like a godhead in the form of the Omnissiah and the Emperor of Mankind, which are kind of synonymous, um, it seems like the, the Adeptus Mechanicus just starts making plans to... Uh, maybe jump ship or start becoming more uh, dependent on their own holdings. And so what starts in the Ultima Segmentum as uh, a series of uh, exploratory fleets uh, seeking out perhaps ancient technology, um, it, it changes and it becomes one of colonization. And colonization for the Imperium is a, is a, is a tricky thing. It does happen. Um, and, but, but the way that humanity views planets is very different from the Tau, uh, planets, for example, that are, that are the right distance from the sun become agri worlds and agri worlds are, you know, an industrial farmer's, uh, dream. It's endless tracts of land that get converted into, uh, 
you know, kind of freak vegetables or, or, or freak animal grazing grounds. They've they've described like described these giant pigs that are you know the size of sizes of tanks, um, and everything's gene modified. And all these things you know go to feed things like hive planets and and and, and whatnot. But the Adeptus Mechanicus views worlds differently. Um, they view uh, the the natural world as something to be conquered. And one of these exploratory fleets. Uh, that is seeking out new worlds, uh, perhaps to feed back into the Adeptus Mechanicus rather than the Imperium, uh, is called Land's Vision. And Land's Vision, um, uh, which by the way is named after the, the same uh, uh, tech priest that invented the Land Raider or the Land Speeder, um, Land's Vision uh, is, a, is a large fleet that arrives over this primordial Tau. And what they find there is is a world ripe for for development, um, except for the natives, which are a group of bipedal, blue-skinned uh, hunter-gatherers, the the Tau themselves. And so they land and uh, form small, you know, like these little uh, observation. Let, let's call it observation camps uh, but it's done in the adeptus mechanicus way uh they're they're heavy they're they're very heavy-handed and in the single entry that we have in the first codex we see an image of the adeptus mechanic and, and keep in mind these guys are uh terrifying they're 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 mechanical um right but, but they're also but they also employ servitors which are basically zombies uh, and these things march out uh, into this this land and forcibly take. And we, we see one of these images. They it, we we see that one, at least one Tau has been put into kind of like a containment pod, uh, being dragged back to uh, one of the landing ships from the Adeptus Mechanicus. And and on the other side of the page, we see that these servitors uh, are opening fire on these they, i mean they look like uh, cave people they're they're covered in uh rags and furs uh they're holding spears um and they are they are clearly trying to attack the adeptus mechanicus and where this hypothesis kind of begins is what was the impact of this exchange um you have you have a an, a completely alien uh Force like the Adeptus Mechanicus, half machine, half biological, um, extremely uh, uncaring of the, the 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 footprint that they're going to leave, uh, and more focused on uh, more fo- focused on the the objective uh, of, of resource procurement. In this case, by the way, Land's Vision determined that the planet would be uh, routinely purged; that they would just basically wipe the first layer of Earth off the planet. Uh, and and reseed it with whatever it is that they wanted, um, and and in so doing, uh, the impact that they leave on these early Tau must have been uh, extreme. If we think, if we and if as we move into the hypothesis, I believe that this early trauma, this this uh, this the the boogeymen in the night, these these red garbed uh, half people um that come out of the sky um and and uh and have and have 
animated corpses uh, with with incredibly uh, devastating weapons, that, you know, fused to their bodies. I actually think that this is the the, the this is the inception moment for uh, for the Tau species um, to be to become what they are. Um, now, now we know that shortly thereafter, um, an enormous uh, the, the the Tau called them like celestial storms or, or etheric storms. Uh, the hum- humanity calls them um, warp storms. Hit the region. Um, and it's kind of unclear, but land, the Lands Vision exploratory fleet uh, is either scattered or destroyed. Now, what's happening at the same time in the rest of the galaxy is that there are these warp storms are rising uh, in a way that they haven't before. And it actually leads to an age called the, uh, the Age of Apostasy, in which uh, the Administratum and Ecclesiarchy uh, kind of become the same faction inside of the Imperium take over and a guy named uh, Van Dyer uh, basically makes himself king of the Imperium. It's a really interesting time period. But but it, 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 it basically catapults the, 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 the culture itself of the Imperium into a state of like civil rest and uh, civil unrest and, and civil and eventually of course civil war. Um, so Land's vision is forgotten. The, the exploratory fleet is is uh, is just kind of put on the back note, and and we don't and we don't humanity doesn't see the tower or even or at least the Imperium doesn't comprehend the tower until thousands and thousands of years later. But what I think happened is that as these as these adeptus mechanicus tech priests are basically rifling through the ecology of this planet they're grabbing uh children they're grabbing uh they're grabbing females they're grabbing males they're grabbing the elderly in in fact they're probably trying to sample if the adeptus mechanicus is is if, if i'm a judge of them at all they are thorough and they're probably grabbing different pairs different groups entire clans maybe even entire regions there's no reason to think that they wouldn't uh hold back on just grinding up an entire forest so that they can examine you know the pulp that comes out of it i think what happened is that the adeptus mechanicus potentially was either their 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 observation outposts which probably wouldn't have had priests on it um probably would have had skitari um, or servitors, or or low-level uh, personnel, they might have gotten stranded on this planet um, as their fleets in orbit uh, were either lost to the warp or or perhaps crash-landed in other places. Um, but I think that there might have been a proto-Adeptus Mechanicus colony um, on Tau itself. And the reason why I think that is because if you look at the Tau uh, protoculture. Um, it's one that disdains close combat, for example. Um, we know that they're hunters, right? Okay, so that's bow- bows and arrows and spears, uh, things like that. The concept of a sword or the concept of an axe, things like that, um, that doesn't occur um, as something that is a noble weapon. Um, all of the emphasis, and this is Andy Hoare, uh, who said this uh all of the emphasis for, for, for the Tau culture is on the bow and spear. So, so but, but why is that? If we look at our own 
uh, cultures and our, our you know in, in the in the modern world everything happens for a reason every you know there's a there's a reason why we're we're afraid of the dark where there's a reason why uh, we're afraid of large predators you know it's because our our ancestors were hunted right very, in a very similar way or competed uh, or or things that went bump in the night came out you know were, were very often things that came after us and we've in, we've inherited all of those fears so if we look at the Tao I think that the Tao especially these early pre even even before they started dividing and going into the river valleys into the mountains staying on the plains etc um, I think that they there was a region of uh, their planet that that had these boogeymen on it, and these boogeymen would be would be the Adeptus Mechanicus. And again, if the Adeptus Mechanicus is anything, it's thorough. They probably continued going on with the program, like continue to go out into the night uh, and pick up uh, these natives and bring them back for further study. Um, there's no reason to think that they would have ever stopped in their mission. I don't think I don't think Skatari are particularly worried if they're stranded on a planet, they'll just continue doing what is best in either the limits of their programming or uh or in the 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 betterment of the overall goal. Uh waiting to waiting for that that purge to happen so that they, you know, they can provide all of the information that they've been accumulating. And we know that the Adeptus Mechanicus lives uh, usually much longer than regular baseline humans. Um, but either way, this would be longer than baseline Tau. And so I think that this outpost would have perhaps been for several generations, continually uh, sticking to the initial mandate, going out into Tau communities, uh, capturing ones and twos children hunters old the, the elderly things like that and what that could have done is that it might have uh in in the study of species we have this thing uh called punctuated equilibrium um an example of that would be uh when the when the asteroid uh came down and uh, and, and annihilated the dinosaurs which you know we only discovered in the 90s um but that that kind of an event changes the ecology of an entire planet um the age of the saurian the dinosaur ended effectively you know large uh large life on this planet effectively starved to death in the resulting uh ash cloud that covered the planet the adeptus mechanicus arriving on tau could have had the same exact effect because we don't know why some tau went to go live down in the river valleys and we don't know why others went up into the mountains um and I think it could be because of this. There's canonical precedence for it, and it just kind of makes for a, a, a terrifying story that the boogeymen of the Tau are effectively Adeptus Mechanicus colonizers that got stranded, waiting to be picked up or waiting for the purge to eventually happen. And so maybe that is the fire, the the kind of, uh, you know, the out of Africa uh, human evolution theory uh, where, where it's believed that there could have been overpopulation or plague or overhunting from other species that caused humanity to branch out and go into Europe, uh, and Europe and the, and the Indus Valley in the Middle East. I think that this could have been the, the same thing, that, that the Tau encountered the Mechanicus, lost, hard, you know, lost enormous numbers, but then even worse so, as they started 
uh, as they continued to inhabit the region anywhere close to this outpost, uh, or even potentially multiple outposts, um, that the proximity to these aliens, these, these human aliens, was that they would continually get hunted, captured, and, and then dragged back to places for study. So if that's the point that we begin where migrations are happening, then perhaps it, it then ends up becoming uh, really a, a lot easier to understand why uh, these, the, the Tau became what they are. So the Earth, the proto-Earth and, uh, and water cast uh, go down into the valleys, like I said, and start building. You know, they, they start settling. But one of the things that we know is, is that Feotan, which was the largest of these cities, uh, had extremely high and extremely thick walls. Um, now, obviously, this is probably in response to what happens later, which is the proto-fire cast uh, starts attacking these cities and everything. But it is brought up several times in, 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 in several different books and stories that the that the walls of Feotan were immensely thick, like abnormally so. And if I'm to put my ancient aliens hat on and, and slick my hair upward and back, uh, I, would th I would say that why do you need to build walls that are incredibly thick and incredibly high to prevent yourself from being attacked by the proto-fire cast? They are still at the hunter-gatherer stage. They're, they they do not have cannons. The the Earth the proto-Earth cast developed rifles and, and cannons. What are you protecting yourself from? Um, I think that, I think going back to the notion of the Tau being nocturnal could have a close relation, obviously, to the fact that the, uh, the fact that the, 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 the original, you know, the homeworld uh, has extremely hot uh, day, day cycles. However, if, and, and this, this comes up in, in uh, Mechanicum, the, the Mechanicus uh, incorporate all different types of uh, power uh, reclamation. Um, and if you were stranded on a planet, your dependency on solar power would mean, you know, would mean that you, ha that you have to operate during the day. So perhaps... Uh, perhaps these Adeptus Mechanicus uh, stragglers uh, would would be fully active uh, during the day cycles while conserving energy during the night cycles. Um, so kind of a, re a reverse notion of the boogeyman. Instead of the boogeyman coming out of your closet or from underneath your bed uh, at nighttime when you're when you're you know you're at your most vulnerable, perhaps early Tau culture was its most vulnerable during the daytime when these thing you know these mechanical zombies would walk the land looking to you know grab people and then you look at the tau the proto air cast that retreated into the mountains i mean what would compel you to run to the mountains uh i mean yes perhaps perhaps there's food sources up there but we don't really associate mountain peaks uh with particularly high quantities of, of food sources um they also apparently had uh you know wings um, perhaps the air cast were even, you know, we know that, we know that Tau evolution is, is, uh, biological evolution for the Tau is, seems to be a little bit faster. Um, this is, this has always been kind of like a confusing notion because, uh, because why haven't they continued to evolve now that they, 
<laughs> you know, now that it's been several thousand years later. Evolution's a weird thing. We can talk about it later. But but perhaps the Aircast were the first of the of the original Tau, the common ancestor of the Tau, to to have interacted with the Mechanicum and were so traumatized and so brutally slaughtered uh, that their own culture, you know, their their own cultural psyche uh, was so damaged that they fled to go to the mountains, um, where where they become mostly, I mean, so isolated that they end up becoming, you know, the most drastic of a different subspecies. I mean, if you look at an aircast, any aircast artwork or miniatures or things like that, they're almost twice the size of a Tau. Um, and that's only because their 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 own evolution has has adapted, you know, much more to living in space. But but it seems like the ta- the proto aircast, uh, nothing motivates you to live in a horrible place better than fear. And and so I would think that it holds true with them as well. Now the water cast, they're very they're they're very closely tied to the earth cast. Um, but then but that leaves two casts left, right? That leaves the fire cast. And perhaps because the fire cast, I mean, let's just, if you, if you look at them, right, they're the biggest, they're the strongest. But if you go into any lore about them across the board, um, they're an extremely self-sacrificing and proud people. Um, the, the fire cast now with the greater, you know, with, with the concept of the greater good introduced to them, um, dedicates themselves as kind of the shield of their people. But if you look at their earlier, uh, if you look at their earlier lore entries in history, they're extremely aggressive. uh, And, and they need, there's almost like a preternatural desire to want to fight, to want to, 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 it's it's almost like they maybe have like too much, uh, like their, their biology has been uh, uh, aggressively like, like, tampered we're not tampered with but basically like traumatized into being what it needs to be in order to survive you know um a house cat has a very different level uh threat threat assessment and understanding than say like uh you know let's say like a cheetah right um and they're in the same family the 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 fire cast is is almost like they were meant to fight and i think it could be that because where where the earth the proto earth water and air cast fled, I think the proto fire cast stayed in the plains, stayed where it was dangerous, and when the boogeyman came out of the desert or out of the plains, the these fire cast tribes went to basically went to war with them, and that perhaps you know and, and just think about that right like I mean in the artwork we have uh, we have a servitor with an assault cannon. And a power claw, a, a, you know, for for arms. Um, if you were a pre-gunpowder uh, people uh, and you saw this coming, probably you would want to go the other way. Um, but yet we see in the artwork these these hunter, you know, cavemen-looking Tau throwing themselves directly onto uh, the, this this servitor, who's, who's probably just going to waste them, you know. But again, if we take that as the kernel and we grow this story out, maybe that's why the fire cast is so aggressive. And maybe that's why they, that, that where everybody else kind of went, went hiding, they in fact stayed and continued to fight these monsters. And that, and that enters into this really interesting hypothesis that, that at least I, I find it interesting, that 
that maybe where we where whenever whenever you see danger, right? Um, something inside you inside you tells you to run. Generally speaking, um, and it's part of your it's part of the the process of living and and, and understanding and knowledge and, and being and being taught by your society in order to how how do you react to fear? You know, fear is 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 an incredible motivator. But if you look at some societies, especially especially the ancient world, uh, you know if you, the Spartans, for example, right? I mean, they're probably the number one example where, where the, 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 the culture itself figured out how to basically modify itself on a granular level, almost from the womb, uh, to how to create a society uh, that, that, can just, that can just beat the crap out of your neighbor, you know, however, however you're going to do it. But what if you could go one step further, and, and this is science fiction, um, but with an alien race, instead of instead of relying on culture what if these early clans of of proto firecast basically through the process of their own evolution basically bred uh, a new generation and then subsequent generations of 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 warriors uh of, of males and females that do not experience fear in the way that in the way that uh a sentient species should. So I'll give you an example. Uh, during the first battle of Taros uh, in the Forge World book, we have one of the most one of the most poignant examples of what happens when the reins that are holding the fire cast back uh, gets cut. And you know, we I think it, I think it's interesting because a lot of the artwork, a lot of the box art, things like that, always show. You know, I mean. If Tau are going to be in the artwork, nine times out of ten, they're going to be getting butchered. Um, because what do they do? You know, it, it doesn't make for very good artwork to just to just have Tau firing at an unknown enemy out in the distance. Like, it is Warhammer 40,000. You know, you, you get, like, a, Nec a Necron warrior with a, you know, giant green axe chopping a, chopping a, a Tau in half. Things like that. So, it, it just makes for better artwork. But, but in this example of Taros, we see why the ethereal cast is so important um and where you have and, and there are connections to you know the first the second codex things like that um some white dwarf articles where the other casts when they think about oshova far commander farsight um and they think about a tau society without the ethereals they don't really seem to they don't really seem to worry uh, in the same ways that you would think, right? That the, your knee-jerk reaction, um, you know, the, the the reins on society go undone. Okay, so it's anarchy and, and you know, dogs are living with cats and it's raining frogs, things like that, right? Like that's that's a human apocalypse. When when the water cast thinks about what society would be like without the ethereals, specifically holding the fire cast back, the fire cast would want to be going to war all of the time. And that's in the first codex. That's a water cast merchant is talking to a rogue trader and he asks him about Farsight. Um, and the water cast and uh, merchant or whatever uh, is like visibly like, like kind of like worried about that. They're, they're not disgusted, but like, like that, that would be a nightmare scenario because there would be nobody to check the fire cast to hold them back to, to to reel them back in 
And in the case of the Farsight enclaves, that is exactly what happened. With the loss of the three ethereals that were accompanying Farsight during his reclamation, um, without them, he picked a bigger fight with, uh, with Grog, uh, this, this orc war chief, who then is, is responsible for the death of billions and billions of not only Tau, but their allies as well. Um, and this is, this is, this is a perfect example, uh, regardless of wh- whichever Farsight that you, uh, you know, kind of are interested in. One way or another, Farsight cannot keep his own, let's call it his own warlike spirit in check. And goes and creates a series of fortress planets, basically, in the form of the enclaves. And then disappears. Farsight checks out for, I think, almost a century, uh, maybe more. Um, but in that time, there are reports uh, from the imperial side uh, that there are warrior. There, there's a warrior race that matches the description of the Tau that are lending their, their services out as mercenaries for chaos pirates, uh, for border imperial governors, um, and 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 these half. I mean, there's nobody else in the region, so ninety nine percent is most likely the far side enclaves. And that matches this idea that the that the the fire warriors do not know how to not make war, and quite frankly, the only people that can keep them in line are the ethereals. And that's why I bring up Taros. The Taros campaign is one of the third sphere. Uh, let's call it like shadow ops almost. Um, it's it was never intended to be a major uh, invasion. Um, it's it's got a very uh, small number of cadres that were involved. Uh, Chasso Ramir, uh, one of the one of the uh, most esteemed uh, commanders uh, of of his generation, is put in, in in command. But but it really relies on the cohesion of the water cast and fire cast working with the locals, and they do. They 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 turn the planet by getting the imperial governor on their side. Uh, they free the ogrins, which is it, you can even see rules for them. Ogrins working uh, working with the Tau. Um, and the local miners. Um, the reprisal attack from the Imperium uh, is is pretty is much heavier than the the Tau were expecting, but it's something that Shadow Sun ultimately want, needs to happen. Um, Shadow Sun during the Third Sphere has a extreme three uh, D awareness that she can't take the Imperial uh, armies and fleets on uh, directly. So she th- that's one of the reasons why she's spring she's. Instead of a, a concerted push, she's opened up uh, a war front for the Imperium that's in five different places, and Taros is one of them. So on Taros, uh, the Imperials who realize they're losing, um, they can't they can't maintain the kind of warfare that the Tau are employing. And even at this point, uh, a group of Titans is deployed, and the Tau respond back with the AX-10 uh, Tiger Shark, uh, which has uh, basically... Uh, you know, souped-up uh, ship-style railguns, and these things just knock out the Titans. Um, now, that's been—I've heard that there's like a little bit of redconning for that, but that's not what this episode's about. Um, the Imperial—the Imperials realize that they're that they're losing, and one of the things that they decide to do is they decide to employ an assassin. Uh, I believe it is uh, an Evasor assassin. And they, lo- they, they manage to locate where the Chasso Ramirez uh, ethereal is. And, the, I mean, I've recently played a game. 
against a guy named Squirrel, who has uh, one of these assassins. They're 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 really they, they, that's a horror movie right there. Um, and this guy gets into the bunker and just butchers everybody. And as he's about to get to the ethereal, uh, they manage to stop him. Uh, they manage to wound him enough that he then he then sets off like a like a some kind of a I think it's like a minor nuke or something like that. But it kills the ethereal. Now, in the aftermath of this attack, the Tau get really quiet. They don't do anything. Um, they pull back from a lot of different war zones. And this actually gives the Imperials the opportunity to kind of like uh, rally, which, which they were doing a really bad job of. The regular Imperial Guard tank uh, deployments in a desert environment did not go well throughout the campaign. So this gives them, this gives them some breathing room. But what happens... I think it's a day i think there's there's almost like a day of mourning but what happens after that is that the tau fire cast basically takes the gloves off and they start assaulting imperial lines and instead of in, before in previous engagements if you if if a, if a human raised their arms uh the tau would take them prisoner and uh, we see this in a lot of different places um the tower are because what happens when you have a prisoner of war you know you can you can turn you can flip them right you can you can have them join your side or you can trade them for other uh for for your own uh pow's um in fact the imperium starts taking pow's on the tau side in order to be able to facilitate these kinds of trades so it's interesting the tau kind of teach the imperium uh kind of like the rules of war but not anymore at the death of the ethereal the fire cast comes out and just starts massacring people and there's no there's no calls for diplomacy there's no you know if anybody's played dawn of war you see that chasso Kais uh, is 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 constantly pleading with the people that he's beating saying like you know please like <laughs> i don't want to hit you anymore like just give up and obviously nobody does uh that's not the case for chasso ramir chasso ramir uh basically st- starts I mean, let, let's just say it. He starts committing what we would call war crimes. Uh, you know, civilian vessels starting to trying to pull out of uh, uh, the capital are shot down. Uh, the the imperial forces that are that are stranded behind are not offered any quarter, and they're butchered. So, so why does this exist? You know, um, is it is it just simple revenge? I don't think so. Um, I think the Tau, the notion of revenge for the Tau is is different. Um, and, and there are very few examples where, uh, where I think it really makes sense in the way that vengeance and revenge uh, uh, are, are expressed in Warhammer Forty Thousand. I think what it is is that the fire cast is just is like is always on the brink. And and Farsight is a really great example of this. Farsight uses uh, exterminatus level weapons against the Tyranids and the Orcs. Um, notably, the the Tau of the Commonwealth do not use those same weapons uh, as a conscious choice. They they do not want to use uh, that level of uh, weaponry um, because I feel like I mean for the same reasons probably why in modern armies we don't use nukes. You know, we just it opens a door you can't close. But Farsight does, and Farsight Farsight is probably the best example we have of what an unbound firecast leader looks like and i think that that i think that that goes all the way back 
And, and obviously, look, Farsight has his own chip on his shoulder. He has his own trauma. He never got over Arkanasha. You know, the, he's, he's a unique person. Um, but if you look at even the commanders that are underneath him, like they are all kind of unbridled ferocity. There's no holding back. Brightsword, for example, his acolyte and uh, somebody that he's been bonded with, um, is responsible for the Kolath Gorge massacre on Nimbosa, where, uh, where an entire regiment of Vestroyans uh, were just were butchered. Um, there's no other word for it. Um, and then, and then, of course, his follow-up attack on uh, planned attack on Sarcassa. So, when the, when the Ethereals aren't around, the fire cast basically turns into something that's you know they they probably have more in common with one of the more aggressive Space Marine chapters, like the White Scars, for example, which we know that the White Scars have a very close relationship. Uh, uh, with Shadow Sun, for example, uh, Kosaro Khan actually respects Shadow Sun, and Shadow Sun even remarks that she sees in the Chagorian White Scars something that used to be part of the Fire Cast back when they were pre unification. So there are all of these tells, right? There's all of the there's all of these notions, but I think that that's born from the fact that when the Proto Earth Cast, the Proto Water Cast, and Air Cast all fled. It's because whatever gene uh, or whatever circumstance created a race that does not know how to back down, and that is the fire cast. And I think that that's because this this early this this stranded group of Adeptus Mechanicus uh, basically created the concept of the boogeyman. And where everybody else got scared, the fire cast decided to burn it out. Now we're getting close, but. I'd like to bring up two more things uh, before opening it up. Uh, that leaves the ethereal cast. What is the ethereal cast? And, and there's lots of theories. Obviously, if you go into the book Xenology, there's a very not too subtle uh, implication that the ethereals were created um, uh, potentially by the Eldar. Uh, I have never thought that this theory holds very much sand just because the Eldar creating a species just feels weird, I guess. Maybe if it had been a homoculus, I, I could get on board with it a little bit more, but it specifically says that the, you know, that there's the Eldar basically uh, stole something called a coral, um, took its, you know, basically took an organ of that and then slapped it into a Tau. I, I have no... It's a good theory. It's 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 definitely on the page if you want to read read about it in the book Xenology. Um, but for me, uh, I think the Ethereals are one of two things. We always talk about, uh, at least <laughs> maybe not all humanity has a tendency of uh, really fantasizing about this idea of a common ancestor that you know all of the different ape species on the planet. Uh, stem from a single uh, species, um, and we're a very unusual ape, you know, humanity. Um, we were magnificent, magnificently advanced, but but in, in terms of like all of the, all of the all of our relationships with the other primates, is kind of is just kind of terrible. Um, you know, just from from just from a biological perspective, like uh, a spider monkey could probably. You know, there's three, six, seven, eight people in this digital room. A spider monkey could probably wipe all of us out. You know, um, we're we're a very weak ape. Uh, we have we don't have any inherent tensile strength. Our, our muscles aren't that developed, uh, and we have to we have to train in order to make it make them anywhere close to what basically comes to a chimpanzee naturally. You know, um, and that's you know the, that's a very 
it's a it's a very simple way of putting it. But but if you look at the Tau, that's very different, right? Like clearly, all of them at some point could have mated with each other. That's why one of the main mandates of the caste system is that there is no crossbreeding. We'll, we'll get to that in another episode. But but I think it's because where where humanity is looking for a common ancestor, a, a common ape ancestor. I think that if you look at the Tau, the Ethereals are that common ancestor. They they are the they are the proto Tau Tau. You know that that at some point they were that all of the other uh, societies b- burst from their gene pool. Now it gets a little bit uh, it's str- the the theory stretches right here. But I think what happened was, is that, again, going back to that piece of artwork in the first codex, the Adeptus Mechanicus clearly took individuals off, off world. Um, and they brought them up into, into the, the uh, exploratory fleet. Now, I, definitely one of those ships got back to the Imperium, because later, about 5,000 years from, from well, five to 6,000 years uh, from this point, Humanity has genetic records of a species called the Tau, and that and they cross-reference it and they go, oh, these are the guys we're, the, <laughs> these are the guys that we're fighting right now. Um, but I think what happened was is s- we since we know that a giant uh, etheric storm, a giant warp storm, hit the region and kind of encapsulated uh, the stellar cluster. I think that the Ethereals uh, were in that fleet. And when it got consumed by the warp, uh, they, you know, let's just call it timey-wimey stuff happened. You know, time either accelerated, decelerated, whatever. But very much what happened with the fourth sphere, um, the Tau were mostly unaffected by, by the, the, let's call it like the, the, the core effects of what happens when you get exposed to warp. Uh, spontaneous mutation... Uh, the uh, the corruption, you know, chaos taint, you know, things like that. Um, that doesn't happen to the Tau, but they would have witnessed hap- it happening to the human element on board all of these ships. And I think that the I think the Tau that were captured from from this uh, millennium thirty four thirty five uh, time period uh, basically learned learned to be basically got upgraded from in, in the form of sentience you know they, I, maybe they lived on these ships for for who knows how long you know maybe maybe 10 years maybe a thousand years you know because because the warp time doesn't mean anything in the warp and that eventually when they came back to to tau um during the monta um or even potentially earlier i think that the ethereals are the result of accidental tampering from the Adeptus Mechanicus. And I think that this is a perfect idea just because it means that the, it's just an example of humanity kind of, because human beings like to tamper with things and mess with stuff, uh, there's unintended consequences. And the reason why when the Ethereals arrive back down onto the planet and they're able to immediately calm people down. And by the way, just for the record, that's a myth. The, the 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 legend of Phaeton where where two uh, two cultures are clashing and then the ethereals show up and everybody stops fighting that is very specifically black and white in that uh, entry it is it is a it is a myth and and it is a myth that the entirety of let, let's call it the propaganda machine of the Tao uh, reinforce all the time um, 
we don't actually know what happened uh, during that period, but we do know the—I mean—the consequence of history is re- is the result of uh, of the present. Uh, the Ethereals must have, at some point, tamed all of this warring states kind of period uh, and created the created the the early uh, aspects of their empire uh, shortly after that. But but if we want to talk about like the biology of it. I think the reason why the Ethereals have a calming effect on the rest of their kind, it's because they're the common ancestor. And perhaps and perhaps that's a little bit of a stretch, but I think that if humanity could see itself in a common... Well, I think one of the reasons why a common ancestor is so romantic is that if we could see where we diverged, if we could see why we're so different from the other... Uh, primates that are on the planet, I do think that the majority of humanity would calm down and, and, and realize that we don't stand uh, in opposition of nature, you know? And and we could see, I mean, there's there's a lot of people that talk about like uncanny valley, you know? Um, and they talk about it in like a, you know, it's like a horrific thing that people, you know, there must have been a species that like copied us or something, whatever. It's a, that's a longer Google search. But but I think that I think that that's what these early authors in the early two thousands were were getting at when it was coming when they were coming up with the Tao, you know they weren't created by another alien race, but they were disrupted and in the process of being disrupted in this case by the Adeptus Mechanicus, humanity has effectively opened, inadvertently bumped open a kind of Pandora's box, and all the all the worst things that could happen to the Imperium of Mankind are are basically becoming embodied by the Tau. And, you know, you think that's, you know, you think Tyranids, right? You think chaos, you think you think all of the different, like, separate horrors that happen in the 40k universe. But if you really look at what the Tau are, they are the most, they are the worst possible thing that could happen to the Imperium of Mankind. And I'll, I'll be quick. The three things that the Tau really represent as we as we march forward into a new codex and into the future of of this hobby all and and you can see it in the in the recent release of the Chalmuth Expanse the only thing that the Tau had to do to get an entire fortress world a fortress world you know I'll give you an example of a fortress world Cadia is a fortress world um, the only thing that the Tau had to do in order to get an entire fortress world and maybe even more to stand down and not fight them is give them food, give them, give them water, give them resources. And that was it. Not a shot fired, not an invasion, not a mind control scheme, not, you know, whatever. All they had to do was feed human beings. And in a moment, they dropped the banners, they dropped the skulls, they, they probably took down the aquila, you know, they, they completely adopted an alien species, something that they're supposed to be completely afraid of or 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 living in, in disgust and hatred for, and they joined, you know? That's, that's, if that's not an example of the Imperium's weakness, you know, never mind, like, you know, chaos and, you know, demigods fighting each other and, and all of that stuff. Like, if all I have to do is feed your people, that shows how weak the resolve is for this regime. And, and, and so far, you know, hundreds of worlds uh, are at risk of, of, of turning, because because all anybody wants is, the, is what we have in the modern age, you know, food, water, shelter, things like that. And that's being offered by an alien. So that's the first one. The second thing that the Tau have is technological advancement. 
Um, they embrace the new uh, as easily as breathing. And what they're doing is they are stripping away the armor that has been created for thousands, if not millions of years, against the depredations of chaos. Because chaos is a really real threat that the Tao just frankly do not take seriously. And that's probably because they're biologically, I'm not going to say immune, but resistant to it. They don't, you know, Tao will, you know, the Tao don't, aren't blanks, but they, but they, 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 you know, demons can't even really see Tao half the time. Um, because their souls are so faint. But but because the Tao don't recognize chaos as a threat, they don't they don't respect it. And as a result, what's happening is is that as the Tao expand and you know strip away uh, uh, ecclesiarchal worlds and and remove the 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 ancient you know uh, symbols of warding to keep demons at back in the universe of Warhammer forty thousand, doing that invites chaos directly into your bedroom. And because their naivete is so uh, backed up by, by, by the hubris that they have for embracing the new all the time, they are putting the entire region, probably the entire quarter of the galaxy that they're in, at a direct and extreme risk. Uh, the last thing, and what I'll end on, the last thing that the Tao really represent ultimately is also this, this notion of communality. I've said it before, and, and I've posted about it a couple times, uh, you know, we have examples of Tau trade goods getting to places like Necromunda, which is in which is in the solar segmentum. Um, and we also we also see that you know there are now Tau ships kind of randomly showing up uh, near the Red Scar Nebula, uh, which is where Ball is, um, or, or or going so far as you know places like Vitreus and, and things like that. Um, the Tau are showing up in weird places, but but Tau trade the the cold trade. Is um, is something that that is in in several books like people will just have weird Tao trinkets that don't you know that shouldn't make any sense like what, what what's that doing here? this is the tempestus segmentum you know things like that um, it's because ultimately the Tao don't think of their technology as exclusive um, there's a Guevessa O uh, named Vadem uh, he's a former inquisitor and you can read about him in the uh, Broken Sword. Uh, novella he he pilots a crisis battlesuit you know um, Angor Prok uh, who was who was the greatest of the shapers and who uh, brought the Kroot into membership with uh, with the Tau Commonwealth uh, could lead squads of fireworks even on the tabletop um, we have the Nikasar um, who serve as advisors and are revered. And then we have the Vespid, who are held so high in esteem from the rest of the Tau allied species uh, that they are allowed to serve directly with the crisis suits. And the crisis suits, remember, crisis suits are, are, are and the pilots that are inside of them, are very much like... Uh, are very much like space marines. They are they, they they even the reference of what a crisis suit is is called the mantle of heroes. These are these are heroic beings. They're 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 elevated not just technologically but also culturally to this position of like not everybody gets to pilot a, a crisis suit because because of a lot of different things. But 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 the Vespid are allowed to serve alongside directly alongside them and they complement each other. So this last thing is that the Tau 
ultimately you you don't need to be close to the Tao Commonwealth in order to be a follower of the greater good or, or to believe in the greater good. Uh, and we see that in more and more places. Humanity is starting to join the Commonwealth in such numbers that there aren't even Tao present. Like they just they're believing the propaganda, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. And in so doing, you you are creating something that is more frightening, I think, than uh, than a religion because religion relies on iconography and acts of faith and miracles um, in many cases I'm sure there's religions that don't but what the Tao have done is they've created an ideal of communality you don't need an army you don't need a club it can just be you and you are part of their community wherever you are in the galaxy of that's at war that's split in half that has gods eating each other and 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 superhumans that are you know that 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 are basically inside of tanks and most of them are cannibals you know like in that universe you can join the greater good and the greater good is ultimately the notion of hope and that those three aspects have have the very real imminent possibility of completely destabilizing the Imperium, especially right now that it's cut in half. Okay. I That t- started off as something that was supposed to be spooky, and I, I think I, 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 it ended up being uh, uplifting. So, I mean, yeah, but like I guess that's just kind of classic town. 